Good morning and what's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. Um, I'm Todd Sable. We're here live at the Dragonfly Max Podcast Lounge in Las Vegas during the NATA 2019 Conference. I'm here with athletic trainer Joe Green. So we're going to talk about a few, uh, few couple really interesting topics with Joe today about third-party billing and a couple of the initiatives he's working with uh, with the NATA. So uh, before we get into some of the questions in the background, I just want to kind of give the mic to Joe and kind of get a little bit of background on him. Joe, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, Todd. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so my, my, uh, my career started with the University of Wisconsin Hospital uh, back in 1991 uh, as an athletic trainer. I worked in a lot of different uh, capacities there, outreach, outpatient rehabilitation, worked in physician practice, um, and was able to get into administrative role pretty early in my career and, and, and some leadership roles with the state. But, but I think how that pertains to what we're talking about today is in about 2001, um, we were able to implement uh, billing, autonomous billing for athletic trainers uh, in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, at that time in a number of pilot sites. And so, so there have been a number of sites billing actively for athletic trainers uh, in the state of Wisconsin since, since that time, or almost 20 years now. Um, and in 2011, I had the opportunity to start my own business called OrthoVise, worked primarily with orthopedic practices. But, but in 2016, an RFP came out from the NATA to work specifically on advocacy and education projects around third-party billing. Um, and it was a pilot project initially, and now it's turned into a national initiative, and uh, it's been really fun to work on. Awesome. So, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, pretty crazy to think about how long, how long this reimbursement's been going for, and you that you've been working with that. But it's something as an uh, athletic trainer myself, and even in, in school and grad school and, and beyond that, it's something you don't hear a ton about. Athletic trainers being re- reimbursed for their services, kind of along the same lines as PTs or physicians or exactly. or, or chiros. Um, so with this initiative you have with the NATA, I know you kind of described how it came about a little bit. So what, what are the goals for, for that? Well, the goals for the project are, are eventually that, that athletic trainers are, are recognized and reimbursed by insurance companies consistent with what other, other allied health care providers are. So, so if an insurance company will reimburse a physical therapist or an occupational therapist uh, for a certain type of service or another allied health professional that uh, an athletic trainer is working under their state scope of practice and they deliver the same service, that it's billed at the same level and it's reimbursed at the same level on a contracted basis. And we have a lot of work to do in that area um, but but that's the really the strategic initiative behind this I think it means a lot for the profession it, it helps us educate a lot of individuals who don't understand athletic trainers um, outside of our profession but but overall our goal is to secure consistent recognition and sure. maybe we have a smaller uh, pool of patients we work with mm-hmm. because of our training yeah. but but when we deliver consistent services we would like consistent recognition yeah no yeah that's great I think us being being on the same playing field in terms of the, the billing and things with PTs and chiros, I think that'll go a long way for for our profession just as a whole, the outlook of it and how how people kind of perceive what we do. Definitely. Um, I was lucky enough to go to one one of your talks last year um, about third third party billing and um, the stuff that it, it was really cool to me because one of the one of the states you guys had in your pilot study was Ohio, where I'm from, and I I was shocked at the the low amount of athletic trainers of the bill. Um, what, what what kind of data do you guys have so far? I know you said you, you you've done the pilot the pilot um, study. Mm-hmm. What kind of data are you seeing? If, if so, I think it's only been in the Midwest so far. What yeah. what, what kind of things do you see in there number numbers wise? Yeah. Well, at a high level, uh, some of the results of the pilot study um, really revealed that when a healthcare entity or an institution, an employer of athletic trainers, uses an athletic trainer in this capacity and chooses to, and they bill to a payer um, that that 
either under prior authorization or they recognize formally mm -hmm. um, in their policy um, is that they're reimbursed at a consistent level um, okay. with them. So it might not be every payer uh, in sure. all cases, but but we've been able to demonstrate that 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 these payers, when it's when prior auth is secured or if it's under policy, that that we will receive that revenue back. Now, what's important to a healthcare system when they put an athletic trainer in this role is that we're also a safe and effective provider. Mm -hmm. So so our pilot study also measured that. Okay. Uh, we looked at functional outcome instruments and quality of life instruments, and it really demonstrated that athletic trainers were very consistent sure. when we're looking at um, functional uh, return to activity yeah. um, across the pilots. So there were some gaps in our analysis, and primarily that was around payers. And, mm -hmm. and is an athletic trainer as cost-effective for a given condition when sure. they're treating like an ACL or a rotator cuff tear and a rehabilitation um, for that same diagnosis code, are they consistent with other providers? And so we're working on some strategies uh, to address that in, on an objective basis and, and in a peer-reviewed published manuscript basis. Sure. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure that's that's kind of a big limitation with what you guys are doing. Now, I shouldn't say limitation, but um, something that's been a barrier for you guys to get over is the, the a payer who has an injury and wants to wants to get get their rehab done and, and feel better, move better, you know, have a better life. They've been going to PTs for so long, mm -hmm. and now they see another another option for a healthcare provider to be to be able to do the, provide the services for them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure education is a huge piece in that. So, what yeah. what are some things you guys are doing in terms of education? Yeah, ed education is is a big part of this. It's it's certainly with the payers, but it's also with the employers and. Mm -hmm. You know, if if we could secure every payer tomorrow and, and they would recognize athletic training and what we do, mm -hmm. that would be fantastic. But we also want the, the employers to implement this correctly. Sure. Um, and we don't want fires that aren't, necess aren't necessary to be started. So uh, one of the individuals on my team, Steve Allison, if, a, if an employer says, I want to use an athletic trainer like this, he will work with them directly and say, these are all the things you have to put in place. Okay. Um, and in particular, like you referenced, is there has to be a consult to an athletic trainer and not a physical therapist. Um, there has to be documentation guidelines, and, mm -hmm. and the athletic trainer has to establish the plan of care. And so the right codes have to be built. So, so there's a big education component with employers as well as the general public, which which we all, you know, continuously sure. do. Yeah, so what would be, for, for me, uh, just, I mean, Let's say I work at a college at a, at a university level, and I want to start billing billing for my services. Yeah. What are what are some things just from the grassroots level that I would have to change in my daily practice of how I do things to go from yeah. how we, you know how we normally do it, how it's normally done, to billing for insurance? Yeah. Well, I think I think there's a number of things to consider, but I think the, probably the most important is that when you document for the purpose of being reimbursed, mm -hmm. it's a different. Um, level of documentation that a payer wants to see I'm sure versus versus what you may just need in, in your note mm -hmm. to manage your athletes or, or what you may be documenting in your EMR traditionally so so I think documentation is a big piece of it and not and not to underestimate how your documentation needs to change not from just a quality perspective yeah um, but also the, the time and and that it takes sure. in order to document correctly in order to build and you also have to set up an appropriate structure Mm -hmm. um, to be able to bill and 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 we we really believe as the NATA philosophically that you should be billing for services um, for medically necessary conditions that return individuals to activities of daily life. Okay. So um, that is something that no matter what setting you may be considering billing from, mm -hmm. um, that that's that's consistent with what CMS would mm -hmm. recognize um, and and pay for 
So we want commercial payers to be able to, to do the same. Yes. Um, so obviously documentation is a, a very crucial part of what we do, regardless of what setting we're in. What, if, if, I, if I started billing for insurance, I, I know that I would have no clue of where to start or what, what to add in or what type of structure to have in my documentation and my notes. Um, are, are there certain resources or things that could help me out with that? Or, you know, if somebody, yeah. somebody else is thinking about that as well? Yeah, so we are we're actually growing our volume of information related to that right Great. now. And uh, we're, we've had a number of workshops related to that for mm-hmm. not only the uh, administrative athletic trainer who would be in charge of implementing these services, sure. but also the athletic trainer who is clinical and mm-hmm. would be billing these services. Sure. So uh, I think one of the benefits of having electronic health records nowadays is, is many of these things can be um, templated and yeah. documented. So yeah. we are able to take the templates of other outpatient rehabilitation providers and use them and teach athletic trainers who have a very good grassroots skill set of of an evaluation but mm-hmm. they need to document it differently and they need to document a plan of care and goals and objectives and so it's a matter of really teaching what needs to be in the note mm-hmm. um, as much as you know as, as much as really the actual um, process of getting or of creating the note whether you're keying it in or dictating or things like that but but a lot of it's templated, which can really help. Yeah. And you just have to learn it. Yeah. I mean, the efficiency of having the EMR is so nice now yeah. nowadays with that stuff, I'm yeah. sure. Um, now with, and this just got, I just, I was thinking about it when you were talking. Um, does that change the, like the, the construction of the healthcare team? Do you have to have an, like an extra administrative, administrative role to kind of oversee all of that once that's put, put in place? Yeah, I think it, in most, or does it most of our experiences with employers who use ATs is, mm-hmm. is the, whoever the outpatient rehabilitation director is, mm-hmm. it usually falls under usually them. takes it on. You'll okay. have to secure C-suite or higher level approval to move forward. But, sure. but really when we explain what this is to many entities is mm-hmm. we are indicating that we're, you're using an athletic trainer just like you might use a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. And the processes are all the same different codes are used um, and you have some different changes in your templates and your orders that you have to have but for all practical purposes the process is the same and you have to have some type of a back-end system where where you know if you assign a patient to an athletic trainer Mm -hmm. that their insurance company is going to pay for that yeah but that prior auth is usually happening with your PTs and OTs already so um, so really the Hopefully, your back office structure and your administrative structure just lends to this and that the athletic trainer becomes a part of an outpatient rehabilitation team, just like an OT or a PT. Sure. Um, and, and our most successful practices are like that. They may have 20 PTs, 6 OTs, and 6 ATs, mm-hmm. and they work as a team together. Yeah. And I think that's what we're really trying to drive forward. Okay. Um, the, the other thing, just personally as well, because I'm, I, one thing I want to get into too is like, where, what are the biggest limitations of, of what you guys are trying to do in terms of like even high level, but even low level with just the athletic trainers as individuals, um, MPI numbers. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head what the percentage of athletic trainers have their MPI numbers, but I'm sure that plays a huge role into being able to bill for insurance too, right? Sure. Uh, it definitely does, especially if you're in an independent practice where you, mm-hmm. you are contracting and using your own MPI number. Sure. Um, our pilot, our pilot showed that we were able to make dramatic improvements mm-hmm. in the overall NPI numbers that were attained by the members. Good. They were still in about the 70 to 80% range okay. of all of the members mm-hmm. in that state. Um, so I think it will be hard to ever hit 100% sure. with this, um, but it is it is something that as a professional you should have. 
and most employers require it. Um, not all, but a, but many do. Yeah. Um, and I think what's important to understand when you're when you're billing is is the NPI number of a facility is often used um, in order to bill. So, for instance, in a health system like the University of Wisconsin Hospital or almost all of the pilot sites health system, the PTs, OTs, and ATs all bill under a facility NPI number. Yeah. Um, and and so, it's may not be needed all the time to bill. But if you're in an independent practice and billing yourself and you're contracted with the payer and credentialed with the payer, you'll certainly need your own NPI yeah. number. Awesome. Um, so with, with the research you've been doing, how, how many, with, with the, da- the data you have, how many athletic trainers right now are billing for insurance? Boy, that's a great question that we're trying to get a better handle on. Um, I think we know um, in the pilot states that it's probably between 8 and 10% of okay. the membership. Yeah. So a small relatively small number are actively billing autonomously and that's in the pilot states and Mm -hmm. there are certainly pockets of billing happening around the country especially with workers compensation payers and just other individuals we may not know about Um, we are considering some uh, additional opportunities to be able to collect uh, data so we can have a better way to know where this is happening across the country Mm -hmm. uh, effectively by looking at claims data and, and looking at what codes are being dropped so then we can have a good idea, not only now as a benchmark of where we stand now, but as we move into the future, yeah. we'll be able to know what states, where it's happening, is it growing? You yeah. Know? So I think that's really important for us to have that objective information. That's great, yeah. I mean, when you when you think about it from a high level, 8 to 10% doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm sure that's with the education that you guys are providing out, all the resources that we're going to talk about kind of towards the end of the podcast as well, mm-hmm. that, number, that number I'm sure is growing. And, I mean, you guys don't have data for the entire country either right now. Right. Yeah. And I think we're really focusing our efforts on payers right now Mm -hmm. because if if payers decide to make this decision to recognize, it changes the business case for an institution. Sure. And we won't have to go out and convince employers to use athletic trainers like this in the lobby for us is they will say, hey, there's we're going to get compensated if Mm. we use an AT in this way. And and so I've, I've always believed that this effort and... Hopefully, many of my other efforts over my career have been about creating opportunity, yeah. and and we can create an opportunity by gaining this insurance recognition. But you know, at some point in time, um, it it will be up to the individual athletic trainer sure. who may want to open their own practice, um, and it will be able to successfully bill and you know create a career and a living off of that. And and those types of things have occurred in the physician practice setting mm-hmm. and in non-traditional type of athletic environments like high schools 30 years ago, yeah. you know, where, where these opportunities were created by other athletic trainers. But, but we're really trying to shift the business case now with yeah. payers and, and you get some yeses and you get some no's sure. and you have to stay consistent and yeah. persistent with your efforts to make progress. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's kind of cool. It, it almost, the way, the way you said it to me sounds like it's almost reverse engineering kind of educating all these these payers on what we can do what service right. we can provide and we can build just like anybody else can and if we get enough of those people on board and they want to start you know using us and paying us for our services that's going to force more athletic trainers to probably go go in and look into doing that correct yeah I, definitely you know and, and i think when we get to the when we get to the right insurance administrator who is the decision maker mm-hmm. and those people are different with every payer right now yeah. but when we get to the right people and we we make sure they understand what we're asking for mm-hmm. that we're not going to be dropping charges from the sideline of a football game or every day after school at a high school is sure. that these are 
medically necessary services delivered in controlled environments documented properly mm-hmm. that we often get to the answer that we want. Yeah. And and then we have to help the insurance companies implement it, um, sure. which is another piece to this. But um, but yeah, it's it's an education, uh, not only for them but for all of us. Yeah. No. I'm, the, the more that I've been looking into the stuff, you know, prepping for the podcast, and just over the years, learning learning from some of the stuff that the, the data you guys been putting out, I, I'm learning new stuff every day too as well. So it's it's really it's really cool stuff. Um, and I know we've kind of touched on a, a few things here here and there, but. If you had to put your finger on one or two of the biggest limitations you guys have with some of the, the things you're doing right now, what would you say they are? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think I think the NATA has done a, a really nice job of, um, from a leadership perspective, saying that this is important mm-hmm. um, for the profession sure. in the long term. And it's an important piece of our recognition, and it educates new groups of individuals about what we do. So. So I think that has really shifted mm-hmm. in the last five to seven years. Uh, I think, I think some of the largest barriers that I see are, are number one, um, the the states may have practice acts mm-hmm. that are restrictive to okay. this, um, and I think the the largest problem is in general that it, it may restrict the volume of patients that you could possibly see. Sure, it may not restrict the ability to bill, um, per se, but but it may restrict the population of patients somewhat, and okay. so. When we talk to states, and, and we've been in touch with almost all of them, from mm-hmm. a state leadership perspective, one of the first questions is, what can we do with our Practice Act to help us? And, and often it's trying to open up that population of patients, but um, otherwise it's that, could you consider other strategies that, that help strengthen your case with payers? And yeah. Is that parity language or anti-discrimination type language uh, in the future if payers don't give you the answers that we hope for? Yeah. And I, I don't want to go down that path with anti-discrimination or parity language unless we have to. Sure. But if payers aren't listening to us or we're not getting responses, then I think we have to be assertive and we have to consider those things um, yeah, at the it, state level. Yeah. Um, it, 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 we, we always have conversations on Twitter with some of the, you know, there's a couple of accounts that are always trying to bring, you know, certain topics into the limelight for athletic trainers, which is really cool. And the one thing that I see come up a lot is like, you know, athletic trainers doing cash-based practice or work, kind of work on their own. Yeah. Um, which I, I want to kind of ask you a couple of questions on at, towards the end, but a lot of people were talking about like the difference in state practice acts because they're so different from from place to place, and mm-hmm. they're very restrictive in some places and, and not restrictive at all in other places. Like personally for Ohio, I I, I, I went, through, went through it and put word for word on Twitter what it said because, I mean, when you read it, it 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 covers almost every person mm-hmm. because it, I, and I you know off the top of my head I don't I don't know word for word, but it's people who who would have trouble in their daily lives at work with strength with range of motion yeah. you know what i mean so it's, it's not just that athletic person for you know somebody trying to return to you know college football yeah but i'm sure in some other states it's it's pretty restrictive for it, it certainly can be and, and and it can be tighter you know for various reasons in other states but you know i think i think the the largest issue that we will see is that states even though they have a good practice act mm-hmm. and there's there's no barrier for them to trying billing if they want is athletic trainers often may not understand that that billing is often not a practice act issue it's a business issue gotcha. and okay. even though you have a practice act that allows you to do all of those things and to do evaluations and to mm-hmm. perform rehabilitation and prevention types of activities yeah. with a given population doesn't mean that an insurance company is going to pay for it sure so what we're encouraging all the states is to be able to create an organized effort 
with leaders, whether they're compensated individuals, mm -hmm. much like a lobbyist who works yeah. governmental affairs, um, a compensated individual or a committee chair mm -hmm. that is in charge of setting up the structure mm -hmm. that is going to advocate with payers and employers across the state for this. Because I'm frequently out in front of payers, regardless of what state it may be, and I'm the first one ever representing the athletic training profession in front yeah. of many of them. And so I feel an obligation right now and where we're shifting to with the effort is I'm going to be going out and training other individuals to learn what I've learned. Okay. Who do you need to contact with the payer? Very cool. um, who do you, what should your message be? Um, and then what is the best strategy in your messaging yeah. to be really clear? So, um, but a lot of these are the same messages we delivered on the governmental affairs side too. And, mm -hmm. and I hope states become more assertive and being very consistent with looking at their practice act and trying to improve it sure. every every five years or so is make sure that it's still representative of yeah. what athletic trainers are doing in your state yeah so. i i think the one thing that you, that you just said there was really important was the business the business education yeah. and in, in school personally I don't, I don't think a lot of programs around the country and this this isn't you know knocking on anyone it's just it's not something that we're completely focused on right now but you leave a lot of athletic training programs in school with no type of business mm -hmm. education at all. They, and and per, you know, personally for me, I, I, long term, I would like to have my own clinic. You know, mm -hmm. whether it's cash based, insurance based, yeah. I'm, I'm really I'm really kind of on the fence with both. I think there's a lot of pros and cons with both. Um, but I I'm trying to learn all the stuff on the fly right now on my own. And I wish looking back on it, you know, with your organ administration organization administration class in, in undergrad, and even some of the classes you take in grad school and a master's program. I wish I would have learned some of that stuff because you're kind of just thrown into the fire yeah. and trying trying to survive on your own. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think you know potentially with the move to our master's level entry programming, mm -hmm. having the AT education program directors be able to infuse more of this into their education, I, I think sure. that will happen yeah. over time. Um, not a lot of health professions do a lot of this at an undergrad level. Mm -hmm. It usually happens post professionally, um, but. What I hope follows in this area and, and what I've seen in the orthopedic administration area mm -hmm. is as orthopedists and sports medicine surgeons have hired athletic trainers into those roles, they've yeah. realized the skill set. And yeah. you've seen so many athletic trainers rise into you know, clinic manager roles, then orthopedic administration roles, service line directors. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think we see some of that now in states where this has been um, been going on for a while sure. where athletic trainers are moving into roles where they run rehabilitation programs and and so um, we have we have a number of examples of that in Wisconsin right now and, and yeah. so they're overseeing OTs and PTs because they're good administrators yeah and then they can incorporate uh, the utilization of ATs as well so but yeah I think right now you're exactly right is is most of this um, most of this education falls on you as an individual mm -hmm. whether you go back for you know an advanced degree in administration or whether sure. you get that training in other ways yeah that's great so I, th I think we're kind of toward, towards the end of our time our time period here but um, before we leave I want to make sure you, you guys have some resources out that I know you want to talk about um, and the symposium you want to talk about as well um, so, so kind of give the listeners the, the idea on that stuff yeah we have created an, a number of documents which are are currently being uh, vetted by the NATA um, to go on the NATA web presence um, around billing and reimbursement um, some of them were updating past documents um, but but others were completely new, so they're just being updated not only from a content standpoint and, and reviewed, but also from an aesthetic standpoint. So, please look for those things to to come out on the NATA web presence in the near future, and we'll have some information out about when that happens. Um, but then, secondarily, we have a uh, 
in the in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Athletic Trainers Association is putting on a third-party reimbursement symposium uh, from November 14th to 16th uh, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, so we hope you can be there and hope all 50 states can find someone to attend. Awesome, awesome. Well, I think that kind of wraps up our time. So uh, for Jeremy Jackson, Joe Green, myself, Todd Sable, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, live from the Dragonfly Max Podcast Lounge, that is a wrap. Thank you, Joe.